Hello, hello. Howdy ho, howdy, bowdy, wowdy. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Beyond Words with Felix and Al. This is Al, and this is my seventh attempt at recording an introduction. I keep forgetting to say something, or I keep not liking what I said, so I am committing to just, this is my last attempt, and I'm going to release it however it comes out. The introduction is actually the hardest part of this podcast for me because the conversation is just natural conversation. Whereas the introduction, I have to, you know, I have a bit of an agenda of things I need to share and talk about uh, related to the podcast. And it feels less organic and more rehearsed. And I don't have Felix to reflect off of. So I miss you, Felix. Uh, But thank you for joining us, everybody. Uh, This community, this Beyond Words family is growing I sometimes look at the uh, uh, analytics of this podcast and seeing uh, how, how many listeners we have how fast it's growing and people from all over the world and it's beyond just our friends and people that we know now but we have listeners that we haven't met in person so that's really exciting and uh, yeah we're really exciting at how this is growing it's so nice to just connect with people like-minded people uh, in this journey of life and we can be on all four corners of the planet and have like-minded awareness. So thanks to everyone who has shared this podcast. Thank you to all newcomers and listeners. We hope you enjoy it. Uh, today's conversation was, it was a special one, this episode 13, just because Felix and I are reunited. So after recording uh, you know, remotely for the past two months, I was in Europe. Felix was here in Peru. I just came back to Peru, and now we are back together in the Sacred Valley for at least uh, the next few months. So uh, great to record in person again. And this conversation felt great. We keep saying it, but we keep meaning it. Like It feels like this was our favorite conversation so far. Something really profound happens for both of us when we just surrender into the experience of the conversation and just allow whatever is going to come out of our mouth to come out of our mouth. And uh, for me, sometimes it just feels like it's not me talking. It's just flowing. It's like this flow state. I think similar to the way uh, maybe an artist feels when they just truly surrender to the moment and they, you know, they feel like the art flows out of them or an athlete might feel when they're in total flow and present. Um, Yeah. This feels like conversational flow that happens and it's, it's amazing. So We hope you enjoy this one as much as we did. Uh, Just real quick, if you would like to support this podcast, the way to do so right now, if you haven't done so already, is to uh, spread the word. And so please just share the podcast on your social media feeds or let your friends know, anyone you think might be interested in this. And otherwise, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please just take like one minute to uh, leave a five-star review and subscribe to the podcast. If you're listening on Spotify, please take uh, 2.8 seconds to hit the follow button, just to follow the podcast. If you are listening or watching on YouTube, uh, because we will be on YouTube soon, uh, please like the podcast, hit the subscribe button, and the notification bell. And any other platform, please subscribe, follow, like, five stars, any of that that you can do on that platform helps with all these algorithms. So that's that. 
we want to connect with you, the listener, and we've started to do that. So in this episode, we actually um, we received an email from a listener who had some really, really good questions uh, that sparked a really interesting conversation and insights that came through for us, uh, questions related to um, uh, plant medicine music, so the music that's used, uh, especially in traditional ceremonies, and why that music and and um, you know what the purpose of the music is. So we we get into that specifically talking about um, the ikaros, the plant medicine songs of of an ayahuasca tradition here in Peru, and we also talk a, a bit about um, buiti, iboga music. So iboga being a very powerful uh, psychedelic plant medicine from Africa. So we talk about the music, and then our listener had another question uh, related to the quote-unquote bad neighborhoods of a psychedelic experience, a very inter- interesting uh, topic that we also discussed. So uh, that's in the second half of the show, and in the first ha- half of the show, we, we talk a bit about uh, the pandemic response, uh, how the world's you know observations I've had from traveling and how different populations and societies and really individuals have responded to the pandemic. Um, So really just looking at uh, what we feel maybe are underlying themes for each person in terms of how they respond and why people respond so differently. You know, some people respond um, uh, with with fear and they want to protect themselves and their families and other people uh, don't feel fear and they're don't feel like this is a very big deal. So we explore the why and what that means and what it's about, at least from our perspective. So that's that. We hope you enjoy this journey on episode 13. And uh, oh, one more thing. Uh, If you want to connect with us, because I was mentioning how a listener sent an email, there are two ways to get in touch and we'd love to hear from you. So if you had feedback or questions, or you just want to connect with us in any way and connect with other listeners, the first way to do that is through Facebook. So we have a Facebook group called Beyond Words with Felix and Al. So just search for that group and join us there. And in that group, in addition to trying to answer any questions or feedback that you might have, we will be posting videos and links to topics we've discussed in each episode Um, because there's quite a bit sometimes. So that'll make it easy uh, in terms of uh, connecting to those videos and anything else we've talked about. If you're not on Facebook or you prefer a more private uh, medium of contacting us, please uh, email us. So our email address is felixandal at protonmail.com. You can email questions that if we have the time and the space, we'll, we'll try to answer on, on the podcast. Uh, you can also offer any feedback or anything, really. Just email us, felixandal at protonmail.com. All right, I'm just going to let this intro, this is the one. I'm, I'm accepting it, as imperfect as it might be. So thank you for joining us and enjoy this journey into the world of episode 13. This is Beyond Words with Felix and Al. Friends, it's Felix and now we're back to you. 
You're our pal. You're number one. You are the best. And we're bringing you some words to put it to rest. All the fear and negativity. Brush it away. Opportunity. Bring it to light. It's Felix and now bringing the love. You're our pal. That's right. Episode 13 coming up. Yeah, 13 is a lucky number, you know. Uh-huh. Here we go with the flow. Episode 13. Everybody knows that this is the show to listen to in your free time. Or maybe even when you're standing in line or stuck in traffic on the road or hiking to see your friends and the toads. Here we go. Woo! We're back. Here we are. Felix and Al. Together again in the same dimension. We're in the same dimension. We're in the same physical dimension. Holy smokes. <laughs> wow, it feels good. Well, like I said, when you first sat down in front of me, <laughs> I literally had to pinch myself because I didn't know if I was dreaming. <laughs> I'm like, wow, this is, this is real? Or is this like a diet dream or something <laughs> of the sort? You, you made it happen, man. You went into diet, and then you brought in the reality of I was of your dreams. Merging realities of Al and Felix into one, beyond the realms of word. I traveled to find Al's spirit and bring him and plant him back into water. <laughs> well, thank you, man, because I feel like I defied a few odds to get here. So, oh, really? Like what? Uh, well, I mean, it's a pain in the ass, and that's the first odds. And then, um, right now, you can get to Peru on flights, commercial flights. Within South America, so from I came in through Colombia, but to come into Peru, you have to have a negative COVID PCR test, and to go into Colombia, and the test has to be taken within 72 hours of arrival. And I was coming from Europe, so I had to time the test to get here. And I took the test in Poland, and where I took the test in Poland, they said they'll email results within 24 hours, which worked perfectly with my schedule. For almost 48 hours later. I was in Miami and I still didn't have the results and they were starting to check people in for the flight to Bogota and you had to show the results to get on that plane. They're checking people in. It's three hours before the flight. I'm checking my email. Nothing. It's two hours before the flight. I get in touch with my wife's brother in Poland and he managed to like get in touch with the lab and the manager of the lab and they had to pull some strings and literally as the an hour before the flight hour and 15 minutes they're closing the check-in counter i'm like please 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 just let me out i I know i'll have the results by the time i get to columbia they're like sorry sir you got to show us the results now and basically uh as they're leaving the counter uh the email comes in i'm like stop wait i got the results and so it was just like nick of time if that didn't happen if those results didn't come in i would have missed that flight to bogota which there aren't many of them. I would have missed my flight to Peru. I would have lost probably 1500 to $2,000 because I would have had to stay in Miami. Like money I don't have to, to lose right now. And it would have sucked sitting in Miami, having to do another test, finding new flights. I mean, it would... So And they, they probably worked. wouldn't refund it either. No. I, I don't know. I, I didn't look into it. But uh, it would have been a pain in the ass. So wow. things were working in my fa- fla- uh, flavor, favor. and Things were working in my flavor. Yeah, my flavor. When these kinds of things happen to me, it just, it doesn't feel like coincidence or luck. Like I really do feel there's like unseen support, you know, uh, that comes with like intention and prayer and, uh, because it's, it, it happens 
often, especially when I'm, when what I'm doing really feels aligned and right in my path and I'm, you know, I was coming to Peru for really important reasons and there was just a lot of intention set beforehand. So here we are. Well, man, I think about you coming back from Africa all the way to Peru in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of the quarantine with odds so highly stacked against you and still like you made it here. And so I never, I, man, I should travel with you more often. <laughs> I feel like there's never a blockage you cannot overcome as far as moving. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, with that whole trip from Africa to Peru, you were defying pretty much all the odds. Dude, it was, and I had all, I had so many doubts and it was triggering so much fear. And I mean, we've talked about this before, but I thought I was, when this is when everything went down in March and it was, I was so scared that I was going to be stuck in Africa and die there. <laughs> like I had the worst, the worst outlook, but my wife like held this really amazing, uh, determination she was helping me from her end and and uh it just i started just to really think positively and really envision the outcome i was just like envisioning myself walking into through my garden my house here and just really seeing it and just keeping that intention and things happen i got on all these miraculous flights repatriation flights all over the world and made it back and when i walked into my garden after getting back after this crazy journey driving through Peru, police, everything. Like I walked through the garden and it was exactly how I envisioned it. Like my wife coming out the front door, my cats standing there and like, I just started crying. I was like, wow, this is, this is amazing, man. This is like exactly what I, how I saw it happening. So. Man, this is why sigil magic for you is like, man, that's like second grade stuff. You need to be in (laughs) universities. You're utilizing the, the proper manifestation tool of, the mind you know to the umpteenth degree and i think god i wish i could do that at that same level to like actually be able to to see it and then be there in that same way that's that's true magic i think dude i think that's what you i mean maybe you can explain more but that's that's your work in ceremony isn't that what it's all about basically you're seeing you know, these like Spirit dudes that help out. Sure, and I'm sure I did too. I must have, you know. I can't do it on my own. And I I think the world is a really scary place when we think we're on our own and when we think there's no higher power to support us in our endeavors. And uh, when, when I remember that there is that support and when I call on it and I have dialogues with that support, you know, like just sitting and like talking to spirit. And even when I do that and my doubtful, skeptical mind kicks in, I just keep going. Um, I eventually, I just feel the support and it's, the world's a much less scary place. And it's a place where I realize, uh, I can make things happen be- and it's not me making it happen. It's intention and it's support from unseen forces. I like that, but I think it is you. It's all you, but it's also not you. That's the paradox. Mm, right? Yeah. It's like you, but it's not you, but it's you. It's the bigger me. It's, it's the, the bigger, capital right. Y, you. The big mind. The big mind, not the fearful little mind. Well, I like that point you touched on, too, like knowing that you're not alone. I mean, it's such a, God, that's such a common human experience. And like, I, I'd have to say like 90% of people or eighty about 80% of people I, I've worked with say at some level they feel alone. 
mm. alone in the world, alone in their life, alone with their feelings and their thoughts and their emotions. And I have to say that this podcast for me and the one we did with Jason, you know, and beyond um, the universe within showed me that even though I think I'm alone, there are still people who actually I feel the same way or mm-hmm. have the same are on the same wavelength or, you know, think the same things or feel the same things. And it's like, okay, uh, you know, on la- that level, yeah, I know I'm not alone. There's so- always somebody who's going to agree with me. But then there's another level, which is like, I'm never alone because there's spirits here. There's never, I'm never alone because I'm, I'm, I have my pets and nature and I have, um, I have these friends around the world. Um, and then there's another level, which is a part of a practice. I don't know if I shared this in one of the podcasts, but I've been doing this, Saf and I have been doing this pra- uh, practice every single day where we go outside and you take a handful of rice and black sesames and a little glass of water and you pour it on top, and, and a coin, and you pour it on top, uh, you pour the water on top of this little pile of stuff and you just thank six generations of your ancestors on your mother's side six generations of ancestors on your father's side, six incarnations of yourself from the past, six incarnations of yourself from the future, selves of alternate choices, and your higher or noble perfected self. That's amazing. I think you shared this with me or on the podcast. but I that, think so. That is such a profound and very direct way of calling in that support. Absolutely. And why those different, why the rice and the, and the black sesame and in a in a coin <clears throat> it's it's a symbol of wealth and abundance and apparently this is a, a practice that is done in india like very very common practice in india where people just pray to their ancestors they pray to the greater self that is you mm. and and at first you know i started it and i was kind of like going through the motions like i like had this thing in my hand and pour water on it and i'm like oh, i pray here you go have some rice and black sesame and i hope you're abundant all these parts of that have brought me here to be here. And as time kind of went on, I felt like a grander picture of myself. It was almost like going into a fun house and seeing where all the mirrors are kind of like splicing you into like all these different directions. And I realized like, man, I can't, ever really be proud or egoic of this little manifestation here because of all the stuff that actually came to place to put me here and it actually gave me a grander sense of not feeling alone uh gave me a grander sense of just seeing that i'm not this isolated being floating around on a rock in the middle of the solar system in space on a hopeless journey to nowhere it was more of like a touching on the multiple aspects of what has actually made me here or brought me here and how could I ever doubt the next moment or the next moment because it's already brought me here (laughs) the fact that I'm alive is a miracle the fact that you're alive is a miracle god I don't know so anyways that was kind of a side tangent on your (laughs) just that comment of feeling alone in that yeah I mean what a way to start the day like in like calling on ancestors this is something I never connected to and um, but then I, you know, learning about different African traditions. So there's, um, uh, I mean, Iboga, firstly, Iboga in Africa, the way they work with it, it's very much an ancestor, um, connect, connecting with ancestors and having dialogues and asking questions of the ancestors and, and 
and on a scientific level to me it's i interpret that as well as iboga my experience of it it feels like it's getting into my dna and so our ancestry is encoded in our dna and so it, it even makes sense to my scientific mind it's like the, the the way these medicines work is it it accesses that it accesses our our imprint from our family and our ancestry and so in some traditions in, in africa not just iboga but other like non-plant medicine traditions uh, zulu traditions they it's very much all about the ancestors and asking for their support and guidance and calling them into our life and you know i've had some powerful experiences working with you know, having sessions with other people where they say, hey, your your grandfather is, is here right now and and uh, is really, really wanting to support you in your life. And he's just saying that if you call on him, he's here. And this is my grandpa that I didn't have the best relationship with. And 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 this person, she's like a like a medium or whatever you want to call it. Uh, she, she, she told me all these things that I didn't tell her about my grandfather, but but she said he, he was really sorry and he's really inspired by what I'm doing with my life. And these are things that that he wished he had done more of in his life, like the spiritual side of things. And now he really wants to participate in my life. And and it's like once a person leaves this reality, um, all of the the imprints that or all of the ways that I didn't like about him and that he was sometimes mean and angry and rude, that all goes away. And then there, it's just their pure spiritual manifestation that's present and, and open. And they really want to participate is what I learned. They want to be in our life. And so, um, I, I, I would, I need to do this more similar practice to what you're doing, but connecting with that, and also the gratitude for all the previous incarnations and the ne- like all of it, you know, it's, and like you said, it, all of these aspects give context and give meaning and support to my life as it is right now. And I realize nothing is an accident. Nothing is even the hard shit has meaning and it's important part of my evolution. And it's, these are the lessons that are given to me in this life. And it's amazing. And we have this amazing opportunity to be human beings incarnate here and go through this human experience and 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 spirits sign up for this hard school because it's really amazing and it's lessons you don't get to learn in other realms other dimensions of existence yeah and i i mean that's such a powerful thing is when that awareness arrives like you you shared with your grandfather it's like oh yeah like oh i guess like you know, I know I am struggling here on earth. I know that life is hard. I know that there's highs and lows. I know that, you know, we fight with our partners. We we have challenges with finances, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. Like, we have these, these challenges in our lives, but it's so great to know that, you know what, but so have these other aspects of my DNA. You know, I, my great-grandparents have been through World War II and some through World War One. That's a, that was a huge challenge for the world. The Great Depression, you know, they made it through these these things. And <clears throat> as we're facing, or as I'm facing this this challenge of pandemic world, uh, I I feel a bit more supported now. I don't feel as like I'm just kind of falling in the air. I feel like there's actually like somebody's walking next to me. Yeah, and 
this like yeah when i think about the struggles that previous generations went through all of it was necessary and important because it's what allowed me to exist and I, th- I, I think right now we have this amazing opportunity in a lot of the world where we have a lot of our needs are met. Even through this challenge of this pandemic, all of it, I think I forget, we forget how good we have it. And there's a tendency in a lot of dialogue right now to be angry and to resent the world as it is and to just point out how all the flaws of humanity and what's going on without remembering that actually right now a lot a huge proportion of the world population has really basic needs met that were never met in history before we actually live in the least violent time in the history of humanity right now fewer people than ever before are dying of violence of war of disease like we so all these concerns, like 500 years ago, a lot of the concerns were like, oh shit, you know, I cut myself. If this gets infected, I'll die. You know, these little things that we take for granted now. Or, oh, there's, you know, uh, this was a bad crop season. We might go hungry. Like that, that's, that doesn't exist right now. So we have this opportunity. These other needs are met. So there's opportunity to really accelerate our growth and evolution because these, these other concerns that used to exist, they're, they're not present now. And this is thanks to all the struggles of our ancestors who went through all this stuff and who learned from it to create a better world. The world right now is, I think the world right now is better than it's ever been. And I would like for myself to stop following the narrative that that says this world is terrible because it's actually not. It's actually the best it's ever been for human growth and evolution. Well, it's funny. I <clears throat> uh, just recently got out of dieta. Uh, so I went into an isolation place and spent a lot of time putting, you know, separating from the world and putting the phone down and stepping away from internet. And, and I was sitting down, or Saf and I were, we were taking a walk one day, and, and I had this realization that was really, really interesting. Uh, I realized that right now, in this time, I could literally pick up my phone and have access to the world's religions. I could literally pick up my phone and see pictures of every um, architectural fascination within 20 seconds on my phone. I have access to pretty much the whole world through a device that sits in my hand. Now, the reason I bring that up is that we actually have access to the most information that has ever been, like, ever well maybe not ever maybe there was a time in human evolution where we had access to internet and such we have an access to information that used to be occult like hidden information and we can actually learn and grow spiritually just by looking through our phone and finding these these practices and these and and what an incredible incredible gift we are holding in our hand and <laughs> the reason i brought that up is cuz i squandered it or i squander it by watching Netflix or YouTube videos or, you know, not always squandering, but quite often I'm just kind of blowing out on the phone and not actually appreciating this gift and this access to unlimited information about anything I could ever want to learn about. And thinking like, man, I'm kind of a spoiled brat 
I'm kind of like a spoiled child who like, oh, well, I don't have, you know, that I don't have the guru sitting in front of me, so I can't really learn how to, you know, breathe and concentrate and focus. Really? Or I don't have, you know, I can't really like, I don't, I don't know, I, you know, I don't know how to be a computer engineer to make money. So, you know, I, man, you can take a course online for $35. <laughs> I love your, your voice when you, this, when you're in that mode. That's, oh, that's what I sound like in that mode. <laughs> <laughs> and it's free. You can, yeah, you can go on YouTube for yeah, free. It's free. Well, to a degree, I mean. To a degree, yeah. yeah. But you know what I mean, like, totally, man. And, and I, as much as I talk shit about my, about smartphones and internet and, you know, my, my, also my unhelpful behavior with it and how to interact with it. But it is a gift too. you know, there's another side to this whole thing. And like you said, I mean, we, we have so much access to accelerate our growth and evolution and, um, and understanding of ourselves and other human beings. And, and yeah, it's about what we choose to, to consume. Well, and I think, <clears throat> I was thinking about it in like a a spiritual context as far as like research I can research certain yoga poses that help to alleviate stress or to reach higher states of consciousness. Like literally I can watch a video on somebody teaching me how to do this. And why don't I do that? Uh 50 years ago, 100 years ago, you had to go all the way to the place Find a teacher, show your, prove your worth to the teacher for them to teach you this technique that is now online or is now in a book or is now accessible to everyone, which is incredible. And I think I can't, I don't want to squander this gift of life in the 20th century, 21st century because I'm lazy or resentful <laughs> or distracted. Um, which, which brings me to another part of the, the, diet and taking a pause and reflecting on this year because I really needed to do that and and again this podcast has been an incredible tool in actually reflecting on what this pandemic has done for me uh, or done to me or whatever done for me and I realized one is that I was disassociating I took the time to like try and separate myself as far from what was actually happening as possible initially. <sighs> and then I kind of like stopped and then I realized I got very angry and sad. And I was like, oh wait, this is, I'm reacting to this like a trauma. Like I'm reacting to the whole pandemic situation as if I'd been traumatized. So maybe some part of me was traumatized through this whole thing. And once I started to see it in that light and treat it as such, I realized that <clears throat> a lot of the interactions, a lot of the reactions that had been coming up in me were just reactions to a trauma or to something that I I feared. And, you know, I, I, sitting at home, just doing nothing, being bored, reflecting on my thoughts during these last couple of weeks, like I, I got a really big picture of how much the world had been manipulated through media and how much anger and hate and these division topics had been just over amplified and I'm not putting fault I don't want to put too much fault on media but I think it's actually a traumatic or a trauma response that most of humanity was facing we just 
we were angry. We didn't know why we were angry. So we started reacting and lashing out and pointing fingers and hating everybody. And we had this visor, this, this, this screen of hatred. And we couldn't see beyond that. And what I feel now is starting to occur is like as we're calming down and going through the stages of trauma or a traumatized response, we're starting to slow down and actually see hopefully like what that means. And hopefully those those filters are starting to fade a bit so we can actually see what's actually happening. And not as like a grand conspiratorial like conspiratorial way of like, oh the aliens have invaded and they've brought Bill us Gates. <laughs> Bill Gates is doing this to us. How dare he? <laughs> it's like you know, I, and I all I want to do during those podcasts is take personal responsibility and I think I think that's the most ne- necessary aspect of all of this because that's the only thing we actually have control over. And so just the psychological response that I was facing during this time was just, it was that. It was that of facing of trauma. I can't, and I'm speaking for myself, and maybe I'm completely wrong, and and my observation of what I see outwardly is just what I was facing inwardly. And from that time in your diet and disconnecting from all this and getting perspective, like, do you feel that your your lens of how you're seeing the world now has shifted? Has your outlook changed uh, for yourself and for the world and what's going on right now i think once the um the skittles dissolved in my guts that i'd been consuming during diet <laughs> after fasting no um yeah i think a lot of the illusions i had created around how i should respond how i should be what i should be once those kind of started to dissolve i i'm rested more in the uncomfortable nature of what this year is bringing up and it wasn't i'm i'm not perfect at this like i'm still trying to figure this out and how to like keep navigating this situation because it is challenging for practical tangible things like work and livelihood and but at the same time going back to that ancestral thing and not as like a higher thing, but I actually, I feel very supported in this time and I feel very blessed that I'm, I still have food on my table. I feel very blessed that I still have great friends that live here and that we're all, I mean, that are here in general. Um, even if you're across the world at times, Al, (laughs) but I started to actually just appreciate the smaller things and stop getting tangled up in this larger spider web of confusion that really wasn't helping me be happy. Um, I forgot that important thing. There's just that one little thing, and it was just like, man, my life here right now is great. It's okay. I'm okay. And I think that's the hardest part for for humans, especially <clears throat> facing trauma, <clears throat> is after a while, nobody really tells us that we're okay, so it sits in the memory a lot deeper. When we can finally say to ourselves, or somebody can tell us, hey, it's actually, you're okay. It's okay that's when things actually start to heal because we can actually face everything. Um, And that's really what I feel came from this. I'm okay. I'm all right. Yeah, I've been, I think something shifted for me too in observing what's going on in the world and pandemic and within myself. And really when I'm able to give it some space, so space between space from all my own reactions or my reactions to other people's reactions and all the fear and just kind of pull back and really look at it through a bigger lens. Like I, I really see this time as the, just like a ceremony 
So in an ayahuasca ceremony or iboga, any plant medicine ceremony, oftentimes the ceremony itself is really hard and I face really difficult emotions and experiences and mental imagery and purging and all of it. And in those moments, you know, sometimes the thought arises like, oh shit, like I'm going to be stuck in this dark place forever and I'm fucked. And, and then inevitably by the end of the ceremony, things shift and I, I come back and I land and, and I don't necessarily, not, not always at the end of the ceremony, do I feel blissful and perfect? Sometimes I, I do, I connect with that, but, but, but that struggle and that intensity dies off and I'm okay. It's like, I'm back and, and I, I become really grateful for the things that I have because I just faced a lot of the darkness within me. And like you said, grateful for the food and the relationships and the people and the love and the, the sky and the sun and everything. And, and just seeing that this applies i think to the world right now as well it's like a process and i really see that uh humanity we're we're getting through this and uh the outcome is that it's going to be okay and there's a quote i forget who i heard it from and i this might not be the exact words but it's like in the end everything's okay and if it's not okay it's not the end so it's just like keeping that faith firstly and, and realizing that um, and I've been through enough cycles in my life of depression and being in dark places and always coming through, even after experiencing the thought that I'm going to be stuck in this dark experience and this fear forever. It always shifts. It's always shifting. And it inevit- inevitably shifts to a place of peace and love if that's the intention that I hold for it. Uh, it always ends up okay. So in the end if it's not okay now it's not the end so just breathe through it and this shifts it will shift and i believe that humanity is in a huge ceremony a lot of purging happening um and even you know there are people reacting to the world right now in a way that that triggers me that i don't i don't like to see hatred and anger but i i also recognize hey this this needs to be expressed right now and and each person in their own time will realize that living that way as a choice is is really not it's not a solution it's not going to bring them anywhere and and life will teach this lesson to everybody in their own time and all i can do is uh, watch myself and my own reactions and uh, what i'm giving my attention to am i living in the past or am i looking forward to the future am i being present and and visualizing a positive and beautiful outcome for my life or am i dwelling on the past and anger at the situation and creating a space to actually repeat all these patterns in myself of fear, sadness, anger, depression, detachment, because, uh, I can, I can choose to stay attached to that. It might not feel like a choice, but it is. And, uh, as long as my general intention is to grow and evolve and, uh, see the world through a lens of love, then that, that experience inevitably comes back always. And, and then I'll slip again, you know, and I'll stop paying attention to things that are helpful. And, and then I'll have to learn the lesson again. And that's, that's life. But, uh, as long as the intention is there, then I always come back to this place of joy and connection and love. And, uh, I'm really optimistic about the future, uh, for myself and for humanity. Uh, that doesn't mean that there won't be some bumps in the road. Uh, but, something has shifted for me in the past, I don't know, a couple months and 
Europe was definitely a roller coaster, but something shifted for me in my outlook uh, for everything. So I think the other side of this is actually going to be uh, really, really beautiful and helpful. And we need to go through this right now. So, yeah, well, <clears throat> I, th I think for so many years of unaddressed trauma, global trauma, whatever it is, you know, this, this time for us to pause and everything stops and school stops and work stops and non-essential travel stops and all these things stop. Like our past as a race, as a human race caught up to us and we had to like really go into this place of hatred and anger and bigotry and all, oh, and just all this thick, heavy things that have been sitting in our psyche for so long. I think, I mean, it's, it's like exactly like you said, it's like a ceremony. It's, it's just, we have to face it and we have to face it <clears throat> as a collective. It can't be ignored. It can't just be like a, sure. We have to do our own personal individual part of facing our, our lineage and our, our issues there. But at the same time, like as, as a whole humanity, we've all experienced things together. Like nine eleven was something I can think of that I experienced with probably the whole world in the moment of seeing, you know, these planes crash into a building and, you know, it was traumatized. It was terrible. It was sad. Um, so yeah, I think they have to, we have to purge. We have to clean things and not like the movie purge. That's, that's a very strange take on it. Um, but as a, as a person who has probably traveled the most miles during a global pandemic, uh, do you feel that shifted your perspective more and more on, on this p pandemic or on yourself or on your views of how to, how to be here in this world during this time? Yeah, I'm sure it did inevitably. I'm going to see if I can verbalize it, but I mean, yeah, you mentioned that we've, the whole world has gone through this experience together, probably even more so than nine 11. I think people that were not in the United States or even people that didn't like the United States, didn't feel it like those of us who were in that country at that time. You know, I remember exactly where I was and what I was doing when I saw the news and I watched the second plane live, you know, all this craziness. And, but this global pandemic, it's no country has been untouched, no person. Um, so in a way, uh, it's actually kind of a beautiful part of this. It's a really shared global experience. Unlike anything that I know of, you know, there was a pandemic, the last pandemic was a hundred years ago and that one was killed a lot more people. It was, you know, maybe that was the last time we had world wars, but these global experiences, you know, kind of like nine 11, if you remember in the immediate time, like right after that, people came together in the United States and New York city, you know, I, I didn't live there at the time, but friends that did said that like for the couple years after that, there was more kindness on the streets than they'd ever experienced in a city where people are often in a rush and, you know, New York has this reputation for people being rude. I, I don't experience it that way, but I definitely experience there's just people are in a hurry and there's so many people that people don't give each other the time of day. And, and, uh, and that really shifted from that experience of nine 11. There was a real camaraderie and coming together. It's like, Oh, we faced, we faced death. We saw death. People we know died and death is really the best reminder in life of the, preciousness of life and what matters and you know i see part of the beautiful outcome of this pandemic is i i see that happening as well 
uh, in some way, in some shape or form. It's like uh, when I was stuck in Africa, man, uh, I developed so much gratitude for all the friends that I have and the food that I can eat and all these little things that I became grateful for when facing the possibility of losing all that, you know, even though it wasn't a real possibility, it seemed real at the time. And, you know, observations from traveling on four continents during the pandemic, it's like people are the same everywhere. I I see similar responses to this thing. Um, And I talked about this a little before. It's like everywhere in the world, I see some people responding with a lot of fear and trepidation and fear to go out, fear to be in contact, fear of uh, dying. It's really the fear of death, the fear of the inevitable. And then there's other people that are um, less touched by the fear. They don't they don't feel feel an immediate threat from this. Um, really ready to get on with their lives. Um, so, I, I think this is in essence, unfortunately, the division this pandemic has created. It's created a division of those who are scared of it and think that you know things like lockdowns and and uh, wearing masks outside and not gathering with loved ones are really important and and they are the solution. And then the other side of it with people seeing that those measures aren't helpful, that they actually um, cause more damage in the long run in terms of people being disconnected, livelihoods being taken away. And, you know, it's like the... With the pandemic, we keep seeing numbers, right? In fact, how many infections, how many deaths, uh, death rate. But there are some things that I don't think can be measured. And what can't be measured is the impact of the measures being taken on the longer term, on people's health and well-being. Uh, what is the impact of a child uh, not going to school and socializing with other children? Uh, what is the impact of people staying inside, not getting fresh air and sunlight? What is the impact of just living with constant fear? Is that fear worth it? Is it worth it to be in such fear that it actually, the fear impacts my body and my immune system and my well-being? Is that fear worth it in exchange for the risk that is very clearly actually very minor for most people of having any sort of long-term negative impact or dying? Most people, nothing really happens. And uh, so, yeah, observing those responses and, you know, I, I think in the intro to the last episode, when I recorded that, I was in a place of really frustration with it. Uh, Just getting back to Lima and how, like here in the Sacred Valley is nothing like Lima. Lima still has felt really kind of locked down and fearful. And I was really absorbing the fear of the, the hotel I was staying in, like the owners, really kind people, but so, so scared. I mean, the woman who runs a hotel saying she she's not going out at all. When I would walk in from just taking a walk on the street, they would spray me down like every part of me with alcohol spray. And, you know, I was like, you know, I accepted it. This is their hotel. And, but I was just getting frustrated with the level of, of fear, but it's, it's tricky because it's not up to me to determine that someone else should or shouldn't have fear about it. And the reason I accept being sprayed down, it's because, well, this is, you know, they're really scared of getting sick and whatever makes them feel better. You know, I think there, there is a boundary though, that it's like if getting sprayed down, it's kind of approaching my boundary, you know? Um, so yeah, I think just, I observed that the reactions in the world are very similar everywhere. 
you know, I am someone who consumes um, this media from the States. And so I, I see all this division in the States of people who are, aren't scared, people who are, people who take it seriously, people who don't. And I have this tendency, tendency to think if I just consume that media, that it's only the States that's reacting in this way. But it's everywhere, man. There were protests in Berlin uh, against all the measures being taken, people feeling that their personal freedoms were being sacrificed in the name of something they didn't feel is actually uh, worth the sacrifice. And so, so yeah, man, it's a pain in the ass to travel during the pandemic. I'll say that. And I hope I never get used to it because if I get used to it, that means I'm accepting this, this kind of dystopian in the world of travel and airports. It feels like, uh, a, like an episode of black mirror or something, you know, just, uh, yeah, dystopian. And when you, when you wear the mask, I, I just, when people have a mask on, we don't see their facial expressions. So that disconnect feels more real and that's not healthy. We're, we're, we're wired to connect with one another. We, we need that actually. And, um, so I also have faith in the human spirit. Like I think that I, I don't see this as being like a super long-term thing. Where we're going to be wearing masks forever. I think that even if there are certain powers and authorities that want that, whether it's a conspiracy or whether they think they're acting in the best interest of humanity, I don't think human beings are going to put up with it. I, it's just not our nature. It's, yeah. It's not the nature of the human spirit to be confined. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Something just kind of clicked for me just now. Uh, man, fear is the greatest initiator. And in this world of plant medicine, in this world of mm, spiritual growth, in this whatever you want to call it, in this world of growth, <laughs> period. Uh, yeah, I, when people go through these moments of incredible, powerful, constraining fear, I mean, fear to the point where we are not moving, it's an initiator. And I think about you know, a lot of events in my life that have brought incredible amounts of fear, but I face them. And that's that's what fear brings us. It brings us a choice point because fear is so uncomfortable because fear is actually, it's almost painful and it's bad for the body. It like literally kills the body. But it's a necessity in the sense that it, it has to push us to edges and fear is the fastest way to get us to an edge of something. And I think that as the world is facing its biggest fear of an invisible thing that may kill them. <laughs> That's terrifying. It's like a horror movie. It's like, Oh, there's a boogie in the night around the corner and it might come around and stab me in the eyeball or something, you know, it's, it's except it's a virus and it could be anywhere. It could be on anything. And, you know, that's a, that's a terrifying thing. That's a horror movie that we're living. And I think what I'm seeing, not only for myself, but as I'm watching people around me go through this they hit this choice point of like okay well I can live in my house safe I can have my hand sanitizer and my alcohol spray and bleach shoes and I can wear a mask everywhere I go and a face shield and yes I can do that and I can live very afraid and I can never leave my box again or I miss my life I miss my friends. I miss smiling at people. I miss walking around. I miss having a normal life. And I miss my own agency. And 
as we hit these choice points, it's like, well, why is there so much oppression? Why is there some not oppression? Why is there so much opposition towards the other side? This is these are the questions that kind of arise in my mind. Why 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 are they showing us these numbers every five minutes? Why are they telling us how dangerous it is? And um, look at how selfish these people are who wear chin diapers, not putting their mask over their face and mouth and all this nonsense. And we should shame them. And the, you know how dare you be unafraid and. You know, starting to to point fingers and call names at people who are trying to, who are listening to their spirit is 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 kind of gross to me, and actually it's very gross. And I'm not saying that you did that at all. Please don't take that out. <laughs> um, but I, I've been seeing that more and more in the media, and I find that it's it's a a weird group mentality, group psychosis to start shaming someone for making up their own mind that they're okay to die by something that may kill them, you know, or, you know, this possibility of death. And it's like, well, that's like getting in a car every day. That's like me riding my motorcycle in Peru every day. It's quite dangerous. In fact, a lot more people die from those things than anything else. Um, so I feel right now, and, and I don't want to get like preachy or guru-y in this whole thing. I, I don't want to say there's a huge global awakening and we're all realizing that the spirit is unlimited and free and it wants to be free. And it's like, no, I, I think that humanity is facing themselves and, and whether or not they feel they are in control of their lives or whether they are controlling their life uh, of their lives or not, or if they actually want to be in control of their lives. And that's, that's the thing that frightens me is that I would ever give up my own agency to someone else to tell me whether I'm safe or not. Yeah. To me also, the medicine of this pandemic is, I think at the foundation of it, what it's touching on for people is their fear of the only guarantee, the only inevitability of life, which is, death of the physical body that's what is touching on and i think it's medicine because some of the most profound practices involve contemplating and touching on our mortality of our physical body and this is i mean a lot of what plant medicine is ayahuasca what's the translation the vine of death uh iboga a lot of these rituals involve some aspect of having a dialogue with, with death, because if I really boil it down, um, a lot of us, including myself at times, live my life and make decisions as ultimately an avoidance of a repression and pushing away so that I can avoid facing that. We're all going to die. And if, you know, if everyone in the world, if there was more initiation in the world, you know, so initiation rituals, like whether it's through plant medicines um, or like, you know, indigenous tribal initiations in Africa, a lot of it has to do with facing death and moving above and beyond the fear of it. Because once that fear is gone, then that's when we can truly embrace life from the present moment. And an interesting observation I've had is from my time in Africa, Africa, for the most part, especially where I was in Gabon and where I lived in Cameroon and Peace Corps, it's a really hard place. 
and people face death there on a daily basis. People are dying way too young from malaria. You want to talk about the biggest like killer in the world in terms of diseases, malaria. It's not talked about much, but it, it puts COVID to shame. Uh, uh, to shame, that's not the right word, but it makes COVID seem pretty innocent. Um, uh, malaria, infections, dirty water, um, war, violence, famine, uh, 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 droughts, all these things. And so the African population, especially sub-Saharan Africa, is so familiar with death. Uh, when I lived in Cameroon for two years, I can't count how many funerals I went to. Or when I went back to Cameroon after being gone for 10 years, I went back to visit and how many people I knew had died young, died from malaria, died from unknown reasons, diseases that they don't have doctors to, to diagnose. And so anyway, when I was in Africa and this kind of the fear of the pandemic was at its peak, it's late March, everybody's locked down. Well, in Africa, in, in Gabon, you know, at least the people I was with, they would wear a mask on the street because the government required it. Um, um, and at the time, you know, the media was saying Africa is the most vulnerable population because they have so many, like such high rate of AIDS and all these autoimmune and other health problems that COVID is just going to wreck them. It hasn't happened. Um, but but there, if anything, they should have had the most fear of this pandemic. But actually, you know, in the compound I was staying, there was like a 75-year-old woman with HIV. And she was such an inspiration because as I'm shitting my pants about everything, like Iboga magnifying my fears, she's just laughing and laughing this thing off and going about her business, going to see her friends. Because, and, and I also talked to my friend in Cameroon. I call him on the phone quite a bit. And and the response there is like, what the fuck is going on? Like, why, why all these measures? Like, for this, really? Like, they face death all the time and they see very clearly that this is not nearly as big a risk as so many other things that they face in their day-to-day life. And seeing that kind of response just shows me that this really comes down to a fear of death. And people who have really faced death and deal with it all the time, um, they, they, they might have an opportunity to realize, to remember that it's inevitable. And like, why are we, why would I ever shut down my life in the name of this invisible boogeyman who's actually not very like thank thank god this is actually not bad yes people have died and that's that's a in some cases a very tragic outcome maybe people people who died who didn't necessarily have to die at that time if they had taken the right measures but to enforce you know on an entire population uh measures um because of a fear of something inevitable it's actually not a big risk for most people. I think it's absolutely, it's pretty ridiculous. And I also have faith that uh, as human beings, you know, it's like a metaphor is like if, if somebody is in a building and they're on the second story of a building, you know, they probably would never think to jump out of the building because it's scary. They know they probably wouldn't die, but they wouldn't jump out of the building. But if there's a fire burning in that building in their apartment, eventually they're going to come out and just get out of the apartment because outside they can breathe and there's fresh air and they might sprain their ankle when they jump out, but, uh, they get out of the burn, you know? So, 
so it's like all these measures to keep us lo- to you know lockdowns and stay home and wear masks and all this stuff. Eventually, people are gonna want to get out of that smoky environment and get some fresh air. And I think it's inevitable. It's our nature. And maybe we're gonna touch on some ancestral wisdom that's encoded in all of our DNA, which involves understanding that death is inevitable and it shouldn't be an obstacle to living our best life that we can on this planet while we're here. Well, it goes back to where we started in this podcast of just realizing how blessed we are in our lives and our, you know, in our upbringing. I mean, especially where I grew up back home, you know, um, I didn't really see death. I mean, there was violence in the streets, and I'm sure I saw, I heard gunshots every now and again. I never really, I think that death was there, but it was kind of like, you know, a story that was down the road, and, you know, I saw it on the news, and wow, that's pretty close, but it's not right in front of me, and it's it's kind of the, the nature of Western modernized world or first world countries to to kind of sanitize death like to put it in a box and to separate from it and it's over there and it's down the road and we need our anti-aging creams and botox and we can we can delay it as long as we need to um and i i think that was you know for me as a child i was a strange kid i was i'll be honest i was a pretty weird kid but i really liked death and i liked death because I some part of me knew I'm gonna die and there's nothing I can do about it um and I had like a reflection in ceremony where I was like oh yeah it's because I came into the world and my umbilical cord was wrapped around my neck and I wasn't really alive when I came in they had to re- re- revive me and whatnot and whatever blah 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 but I just I, I just I would look at the world and be like, okay, so, you know, like, listen to my mom. She says, she says you know, I, I want you to grow up. I want you to get a, go to college, get a good job, make sure it's a good job you love. And uh, I want you to get married, and I want you to have kids. And that was the end. I was like, uh, but but then what? Like, so I'm, I'm living to buy a house to have kids to make them do the same and then repeat the cycle and over and over and over and again. <laughs> just <laughs> doing a lot of funny voices today <laughs> but but it, it just it just didn't m- click it didn't make sense for me in my mind and so i've always kind of had this fascination with death and i just i was like well what's next and what's next what's next what's after that and and if i can't face that thing that's always around the corner everywhere i go no matter what like we could man you and i could die right now a rock could roll off the mountain and crush us um it's 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 literally behind us at all times and there's an interesting quote by carlos castaneda or uh, don juan sorry where he talks about how a warrior lives with death death stalking them and in fact they stalk death it's almost like following death where it goes. See where it's going. See where that fear or that like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Or, oh my God, if I I can't publicly speak, I will die. <laughs> it's kind of like that. Like, I'm going to stalk that. I'm actually going to go forward and I'm going to publicly speak. There's something in that. And as I start to work more 
with dissolving fear, with dissolving death, um, not not getting rid of death, but actually amplifying it and being more aware of it and living with it as a good close friend, not hating it, not belittling it. It it doesn't have that hold on me. Life doesn't. There's nothing to stop me, and this is why uh, the Zen Buddhist monks were given so many gifts of like riches is because they weren't phased by death, and that scared the governments. They were like, how do we control them? We don't know how to control them. They're not afraid of death anymore. And and I'm not saying I'm perfect. I haven't said I've conquered death. I'm not saying for anyone on the podcast to try and conquer death. I, I hope you look at that aspect of why that fear is everywhere you look, and including when you have to publicly speak or you see a spider on your wall or whatever your fears are. It's like it's just death looking at you, smiling in different ways. That's a really good way to put it, like stalking death. Because to me that means being aware of moments where my fear of death is holding me back, like really watching that. So it's like stalking that fear response. And and then by doing that, if I see where that's arising, then I can actually sit and observe that and analyze that in a way of seeing, okay, is my fear of death in this moment proportionate to the actual risk? And I think that's a big theme of the pandemic as well. Um, and, but the medicine of death, like we said, is for me, it's when I'm faced with that, it reminds me of what's important and maybe we need that in the world. Clearly we do because it's happening and nothing is an accident as far as I'm concerned. So on our path as human beings, um, you know, the, one of the blessings of our advancements as a human species is that a lot of us, not everywhere, not like in Africa, but a lot of us were able to live lives where we don't really have to, there isn't much risk of dying. And so the flip side of that is we forget that death is really the only outcome. And, and so we lose the medicine of that consideration, which brings gratitude and I wonder also, you know, with, with the people who react with the most fear of this, um, maybe this is just a hypothesis. Maybe these are also people who on some level feel that they haven't lived their life to the fullest. And now they want to do everything they can to not to 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 not die because, well, wait, I, uh, but I didn't go to this place and I, you know, I didn't spend enough time with this person. And maybe underneath it all, there's also some element of that, like, if 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 I truly have embraced every moment of my life, which I haven't, but if I had, maybe uh, this pandemic wouldn't be such a big deal because it's like, well, if I die, I'll die with a smile because I I know that I've lived to the fullest. I've uh, you know lived with love and connected with people and learned and grown as you know and and all of this. So wow. That wow! I got I got to recover from that. That was really like wow. That's that's incredible, and that's wow. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I mean that. Yeah, I mean that. To to hit the nail on the head, like I don't I don't think I have even considered that. Yeah, but then like to even reflect on on my own life, do I feel like I've fulfilled my life, or do I feel like I've lived well? 
I'm I'm sure I there's so much I could do, so much I could do to be better and to really really live it to the fullest. But yeah, that's a really powerful question. That's a really powerful question, and I and I hope that people listening really reflect on that and be honest with yourself. Maybe that can be the homework for this one. Is like, you know, the because qu- we're trying to leave everyone with the question, something to ponder, and this is the biggest one I think is. And, and you know, I'm not ready to die. I I don't want to die right now. And after my experience in Africa, I know that I, I don't handle it very well. I freak out at the prospect of it. Um, but I think it could be really helpful for my own life—a practice of just sitting with it. And 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 you know, I think there are practices. Tibetan Buddhism really does this and different practices I've heard of, you know, things like just like visualizing your body dead and decaying and spending a lot of time with that actually. So basically through visualization and meditation, going through that experience so that we become more familiar with it. And by doing that, it helps to bring context to what really matters and what doesn't. And uh, the Stoic philosophers of ancient Greece and Rome, you know, they had this practice of meditating on their own death. And um, by by doing so, just remembering what's important, what's important, what, what really matters. So, you know, if there's a question that I would leave myself with, you know, and viewers uh, is, or listeners is um, visualize my death and then ask myself what what actually really matters in my life. I like that. Let's do that. And if and if you have comments on if anyone any of the listeners have comments on how this experience went for them, like share share with the group, mm-hmm. like um, go onto the Facebook group and and share, um, or send us an email and and share with us what you what you experience. It's it's such a powerful practice because. I remember one practice, it was a Tibetan practice of, it was asking, as you're dying, what can I bring with me? Well, then what? Well, then what? Okay, I can't bring my money, I can't bring my house, I can't bring my motorcycle, I can't bring my friends, I can't bring... Well, then what? What do I bring then? What else do I have? What's intangible? What's ever persistent? What's there? I'm not going to answer a question. I don't know. It's a, it's a meditation. So explore that. Yeah. And, um, a funny thing with the, with the coronavirus, and this is, this is me kind of dipping into the conspiratorial side, <laughs> the weird side, but it's not a conspiracy, but it's just, the funny thing is the name, Corona, the crown, the crown, like the crown of crown chakra or like your, which is your connection to God, which is your connection to knowing, um, which is your higher awareness. Safa did a meditation with her teacher and their group uh, of pranic healers, and this teacher is very advanced spiritually. Um, and she said, uh, coronavirus was brought here to humble us. We've become too proud. That's why it's hurting the crown. That's why it's hurting our connection to God. That's why it's trying to open this when we're too proud, our, clown, our crown closes. If we're, we have too much pride, we can't actually connect to God. And so this coronavirus, in her eyes, had been brought to us because of 
our pride. Pride cometh before the fall. Wow, that's amazing, man. The totally, that makes sense. And if you can hear screaming in the background, I think there's kids playing in the river. So it's a, I, that's I, I find important. it like a wonderful addition. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, that's what's important: play, love, fun. <laughs> We're talking about death, and it's like laughter and joy, and that's that's the true experience. Well, that's interesting. This you know, crown and losing our humility in a way. You know, I also you know in this meditation on death. I think this meditation is probably easier to swallow for those of us who believe or have faith in or maybe even deeply know that when the physical body dies, there's an element that goes on forever. There's an infinite spirit. And if, if, if I were of the belief system that when I die, that's it. So kind of an atheist position, perhaps swallowing the pill of death would be more difficult because uh it's life is finite and then that's it and once you die you're done and that's the end of your program and that's it um so i think also in this meditation it's also just for me an opportunity to get to know my own beliefs or connection to something that is beyond me beyond me as al as my ego my personality who I am, what I like, what I don't like, all of that. And is, is there something beyond that? And I found it really interesting. I heard that um, about Sam Harris. So Sam Harris is pretty renowned um, mindfulness meditation teacher. He has a really cool app uh, with all these guided meditations. Um, and he's in a lot of the dialogue. Uh, he's an atheist, basically. And he's had a lot of like podcasts and conversations with people who aren't atheists and and he basically uses logic to, for him, disprove the existence of God. I believe I could be misinterpreting him, but that's what I see. And anyway, I, I heard on another podcast that Sam Harris is super scared of the pandemic. He's really been isolating himself and, um, kind of gone on the extreme end. This is just hearsay. So, um, I'm sorry, Sam Harris, if, uh, I'm misinterpreting your experience, but perhaps, perhaps there is an element that, if that faith in something beyond or even that connection or knowledge for me, it's beyond faith. It's like through plant medicine experiences specifically, I've experienced the infinite nature of existence. Um, but if that, if that doesn't exist for me, if I'm, you know, in Sam Harris's shoes, maybe the threat of something like a virus is super scary because in his mind, that's the end and there's nothing else. Just a, just an idea. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I, lo- I love this laughter in the background. It's so great. Um, yeah, I, I think, but and I and I hope that you know through our podcast, like what what we're trying to touch on is that we we don't know one hundred percent, you know, and we're okay with that. We have had incredibly powerful experiences through these mediums of plants and these mediums of meditation um and so again like for you i I, there's this knowing but i also like i never want to constrain myself to believing one thing so fully i i hope that our listeners even aspire to that as well of, of being open to allowing your mind to expand into a new belief system for a period of time and just try it and then if that one doesn't work try a new one it's not necessarily that 
you're gonna we want you to find the perfect belief system or we hope you find the perfect belief system we hope you find expansion we hope you find fluidity we hope you find evolution in whatever that looks like and and the only reason we offer these practices and these explorations is because they're explorations they're adventures in the mind and that's why we're beyond words <laughs> that's why we love our we love this this exploration together is it's it's just an exploration we're adventuring into the realms of the psyche um that being said uh we did actually have a a question from one of our listeners uh and we'd love to answer that and and give some feedback on that yeah and I'll mention this in the intro, but uh, we really welcome, uh, we want to connect with our listeners. And so um, there's an email address, uh, Felix and Al at protonmail.com or our Facebook group, which uh, Felix and I were just talking. We're going to really get more involved with that and really start to share um, uh, uh, topics we've discussed on the podcast, links, videos, open up discussions. So another way to connect with you. And we realized that not everyone's on Facebook and that's awesome. Great. And that's why we have the email. As Good well. for you. Good, Good for, for you. you. <laughs> so our, our email, I'm just going to read the whole thing. It, it's, um, it's a bit long, but it's amazing and well-written and, uh, and then we can get into the questions. So, and this comes from uh, a listener named Jacob. Jacob says, Hey guys, I'm a big fan of the podcast and listening to your thoughts on the world and our experience in it. Thanks man. I also have some questions regarding some of your previous conversations and subject material. I hope you don't mind a bit of a long email. Firstly, I'm very interested in hearing more about the traditional music that has been played during the ceremonies. I I believe you mentioned that music played both during the ayahuasca and iboga experiences, but I might be mistaken. Yes, we have talked about that. What is the purpose of this music? What does it bring to the experience? If you have any copies and it wouldn't be inappropriate, could you play a clip during the show? I wonder if only the songs you've heard serve their purpose, like the ones who've created them found the perfect recipe. I wonder if only the songs you've heard serve their purpose, like the ones who've created them found the perfect recipe. So, like, perfect song, okay. Also, will you please do your freestyle intro songs more? We did it. (laughs) We did it. We've gotten a lot of feedback on those. Yeah, people like the freestyles. They're some of the most fire beats I've heard since. Wow, cool. Secondly, I would really love to learn more about these quote-unquote spiritual neighborhoods that Felix described in a previous episode. If it's possible, can you describe those places? What makes a good or bad neighborhood? What are some places better left avoided? Do, Do not all places have a lesson or understanding to offer? I think the idea of bad neighborhoods are part of what scares people like me from wanting to participate in spiritual ceremonies and psychedelic experiences. Would I be correct in assuming these places might exist even in a more sober or secular sense as well? Hmm. I wonder so much about this subject in particular because of the idea of avoiding these bad neighborhoods confuses me. I imagine a bad neighborhood being similar to what someone might call a dark place in the mind, and I've always found the dark places to be the most familiar and illuminating. Maybe I should lay off the vampire movies. Uh, And he concludes with, uh, thank you both for taking the time to read this. I hope my email wasn't too long or fractured. Um, I hope you might be able to answer my questions. Thank you again for creating your podcast. It's a nice change up to a lot of the other content that's out there. And it's also really cool to hear people who actually have serious experience in plant medicine and psychedelics talk about and explain them. Wishing you both a good 
healthy health and happy days. Thank you, Jacob. Thanks, Jacob. Same to you, man. And thank yeah. you for this awesome email. These are great questions and yeah, uh, amazing. And I am, you know, anytime I listen to something and I have a question about it, I am, I imagine there are other people that have the same questions arise. So, um, Jacob, you're asking on probably on behalf of other people as well. Yeah, they're they're really good questions. Yeah. So, firstly, on the question of music, and maybe you you can answer first, Felix. Um, like, what is the purpose of this music, and what does it bring to the experience? Well, within the Shipibo traditional context, which is the framework that I'm trained under and, and work under is uh these songs are, are not necessarily just songs they're actually uh transmissions from the plant so uh like i just got out of dieta recently we go into diet we go into isolation we go into large periods of silence and sacrifice in order to still the mind enough to start hearing the plants and as we do, we start to receive songs in our dreams, um, songs throughout the day that you just start humming or melodies. Uh, and mostly they're just melodies. And these melodies are the medicine themselves of this specific plant. And so through this tradition, we sing the melody of this plant. So let's say I'm going to sing the melody of Rose. And the melody of Rose is is a kind of medicine that brings like happiness and lightheartedness and open-heartedness and things like this. It is then up to me during that time to see what it brings up in the person while I'm singing to them or while the ikaro is being sung to start seeing what is needed for that melody. Okay, so your heart has a lot of sadness on the side here. Let's calm the sadness and help transmute it into to happiness. It has a function. It has a... Uh, a task and it works can i get too in depth of why or how it works i i can't it's 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 an interesting experience to feel it uh i know a lot of people who have drank medicine who have had the opportunity to be sung to by a maestro and it feels like the plant they are literally reaching inside of them and pulling things out of them uh so there's something within the song that actually evokes a spirit and that spirit comes forward and starts to pull or help you to heal or so forth and so on. Also through this tradition, the medicine helps or the, the songs help to drive the medicine. And in these traditional medicinal practices and, and all traditional, med- there's some kind of song that helps to push the medicine, to drive the medicine forward, to, to move it, so to speak, and to help it to move. And for some reason, music and certain types of music help to do that. Uh, that being said, like with mushrooms, for some reason, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon is incredible, and it helps it to move it and bring it into incredible places. So that's that's my answer from my perspective. Amazing. And yeah, as someone, you know, my perspective as someone who sat in ayahuasca ceremonies and not, not d- done the work like Felix is, does in terms of bringing the medicine of the song... When I first came to ayahuasca, people talked about the Ikaro. So Ikaro being the medicine song, specifically in this tradition with Shipibos. And and I just, I didn't think much of it. And when they first started singing my first ceremony, I had the thought like, oh, that's really sweet. Like they're singing, you know, it's just to bring a nice atmosphere. Um, and then the first time I was sung to, like Felix said, there's a reason, like it's, you can't really describe it. Um, but it's more than just music. It gets in there and it 
gets into my brain and my body and I've had maestros sing to me and where I didn't feel any nausea or anything and then they start singing and I start purging. I start puking my brains out, literally, like puking out uh, emotions and dark thoughts and and past substance abuse and it just all comes out like the medicine their song it drives it out and and it's beyond me how it really works it's incredible um the way i see it though is just they've mastered um they've mastered their connection with these plants these plant doctors and they've mastered the ability to direct their intention of healing into the spirit body mind uh, an emotional body of the person they're singing to to direct the medicine in with the intention of healing healing meaning letting go of that which does not serve and opening connecting to uh, uh, presence love light and a connected existence so so it's not coincidental and like Felix said like dark side of the moon and mushrooms amazing and you know I've I've had psychedelic experiences for sure where I put on the headphones and I listen to some songs and it doesn't work and others it does. Um, but there is a difference to me, a lot of like listening to whatever music because it sounds beautiful is beautiful on a psychedelic experience, but it doesn't carry that same intention and weight of really, if the intention is really deeply healing and moving things, uh, there's nothing in the world like an Icaro from a train maestro, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and then, you know, my perspective with Iboga, so Iboga music is a little different because it's it's primarily instrumental. There's two types of instruments in the Buiti tradition. There's the harp and then there's the the uh, mogongo, the mouth bow. It's crazy psychedelic sound. And, um, yeah, and with that music, um, it's still a bit of a mystery to me, but my experience of it and what, I've been told is it's almost like the that music which has been developed over thousands and thousands of years is a technology of basically tuning the brain, tuning the mind, bringing it into alignment through frequency, through sound. Sound is waves, it's energy. And when that energy is directed and when it carries a certain frequency, it 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 tunes it it tunes the body, the mind, the spirit. And so iboga music it's you know unlike anything you'll ever hear and it basically serves as a tuning this is my experience of it and it tunes things it brings things out of me it tunes out you know the music brings out negative thoughts traumas things that don't serve me and it tunes the body the mind the spirit everything it just brings everything into alignment is the best way to describe it um and I can't imagine any boga ceremony without that music. I, I would feel lost and it would be really, really scary. There, you know, in my initiation with iboga, there's there's inevitably inevitably moments where the person playing the music stops to just like take drink some water or go to the bathroom. And when the music stops, I sometimes have the feeling of like uh, my 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 journey with this medicine kind of like going into a bit of a chaos. And I was like, please bring the music back. And when it came back, it like brought me back. It brought me back into an alignment with the intention of the ceremony. And then there's also music like with the tobacco lineage that I work with. Um, with that tradition, uh, 
it's not like Shipibos and it's not like Iboga where the music is being played through the experience or being sung through the experience. With tobacco, the music, the Ikaro, is sung at the very beginning, um, right before a person drinks, and it serves the purpose of a prayer, and it serves the purpose of directing the intention for this medicine into the medicine for that person. And so, like we were talking about, Felix, before we did the podcast, about, you know, studies shown that water has memory and water is affected by uh, intention, is affected by music. It actually carries, it, it, it's, it's programmable. So the vibration that's put into the water, somehow this beyond me, they've been able to see that the water carries it. And so to me, scientifically, it totally makes sense. If I sing a prayer and an intention and I'm very much concentrated and very much present into the medicine, which is tobacco and water, then, then it's like programming that medicine for the person to consume. And the person, our bodies are made up primarily of water. And so that programming goes into the body, mind, and spirit. And so it's a, it's a different approach. It's like, and then once the person drinks, you know, then I'm not singing generally, but I'm sitting there and just holding space for their experience. But the medicine has been programmed to do its thing, and that's what it does. And, and so, yeah, there, it, you know, to your question, um, if they've, it, it's basically, it's not, it, it is a formula and it has been developed through lineages over a really long time. Um, and, and so, it works and it works. It works. And to me, that's what separates these medicine traditions and ceremonies from, you know, the run of the mill psychedelic experience I had in my twenties where I would eat mushrooms and not really have much intention other than maybe to have fun um, and then I would put music on and sometimes the music would make me feel good. Sometimes not my very first, I think we talked about this, my very first mushroom experience. Um, it was very powerful. I was in college and I just grabbed my disc man. Cause in those days you listen to CDs yes. <laughs> and I didn't even look what was in it. And I just started playing it and it was D'Angelo. D'Angelo is an amazing musician and, <laughs> but it's like R and B music and it's about making love and, and, uh, primarily about making love. But I was outside, it was wintertime in Boulder, Colorado, and I was looking at this tree that had some snow on it, no leaves, and D'Angelo was playing, and the tree started moving, and it was like the most beautiful experience, and even though the lyrics weren't necessarily aligned with my intention, like I wasn't making love to anyone in that moment but myself, uh, it was amazing, and to this day, when I listen to that album by D'Angelo, um, it reminds me of mushrooms, but even though it's totally not your stereotypical Pink Floydy psychedelic music, but uh, but music's amazing, and uh, I think the more you know, maybe Felix can agree, like the more I've worked with plants, the more sensitive I am to the vibration of a music, like to the intention of the music, whether it's like makes me feel good or it actually doesn't, you know. So yeah, and and <clears throat> you touched on the the thing that we spoke about before the podcast, which is the, the vibration or water has memory and water can be programmed and so forth and so on. And well, what is the human being made primarily out of is water or what? 98% water, 80 something, something like that. Um, but yeah, I, I think over time I've become more sensitive to music and its intentions. And I start listening, especially to a lot of modern music. It really, some of it just doesn't make me feel good. And, and I really, you know, my, my new favorite high is clarity is, is like uh, my everyday experience is feeling good. You know, I'm, I'm pretty happy in my life and 
my clarity is what fuels that. And oftentimes I find like, you know, like Cardi B's WAP and it's like, what is that? And why does it make me feel weird? Like not, not a good weird. Like I like to feel weird, but not a, this is something like, it's like something's under my skin and it's like, there's something, I'm sorry if you like that song. I'm sorry if you like her music or whatever, but I, there's something in modern music that's starting to die and I'm noticing it more and more. And I listen to like Jimi Hendrix, Bob Marley, uh, Fleetwood Mac, <laughs> uh, cause it's a big popular video right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, there's, or, or Prince actually was listening to Purple Rain today, which is great. And it's just, it's got soul. It's got soul. And, and I, and I, love thriving on music that has soul that moves me in those ways yeah that actually reminds me like another insight is i look back at my life and the different phases i had with music and i was choosing music that really reflected kind of my internal state of being so when i was a teenager um i was i was confused i was lost i was angry angry at my father and so i was drawn to like that kind of music because it actually matched the vibration of my body body that's primarily made of water and so it felt good so at the time you know my intention wasn't to change my my vibration it was to actually match it and so i would you know i would even though back then i loved bob marley too so there was something in me that connected with that but i would listen to a lot of rage against the machine and for all these 90s people offspring uh uh music that now once in a while i still listen to rage against the machine but it it doesn't have the impact that it did that time because it doesn't match where I'm at right now. So I think everyone, you know, we're drawn to music that matches our state and, you know, without being critical of, uh, mm, well, the modern music is no coincidence. So a lot of like rap now, it's really dark. It's, um, and I talked to someone about this in Berlin, a musician, and he said, a lot of those beats in a lot of rap now are made to match the vibration of uh, pharmaceutical drugs. So um, it's it's kind of dark and sloppy and weird because uh, they're matching um, Xanax. They're matching their high. Yeah, their high or um, Xanax and, and other kind of pharmaceutical energies that to me are kind of like pretty dirty. Um, but that's, you know, it's it's a tragedy of a lot of facets of our society is addiction and, and drugs and consuming pharmaceuticals way beyond what they're intended for. And so people want to match that music. And it is a reflection of what some segment of our society is at, that that's the music that matches their own vibration. I'm, I can't criticize it. I don't want to do that because I, at one time, also really vibrated with music that now I consider not not in line with me and not helpful to me. So... And, and and to even state, too, that I, I still enjoy a lot of that music. You know, I actually had a, a week where I went back and listened to things I listened to back in high school. And it was a fun exploration. I really, I enjoyed it because it brought up all these memories. And, and what I realized during that process, too, is like, well, man, I was pretty, you know, like you said, I was a disgruntled teen. You know? <laughs> like, it was really matching that vibration. And you said something super powerful in that is that, I was looking to match my vibration of anger or sadness or whatever it was versus like now I look to like, I look to certain music or songs to lift me out of a certain vibration. So like I, you know, I have my 
angry days or my sad days or my hard days. And I put on this this uh, incredible artist named Maris Yahoo. And he has this song and says, Lord, raise me up from the ground. And it's just like, oh, yeah, like I got to get up and I got to have faith and and not in a religious sense, like, because that's, I, I don't want to, like, put a religious context on it, but it's just, like, to get me off the ground, and I need a little bit more help, so I got to call on the Lord, you know, whoever it is, and uh, it helps. So, yeah, let, great question, amazing question. That's a whole can of worms, and uh, that's great. Yeah, totally. Thank you, Jacob. Yeah, and again, like, whatever type of music people listen to, it's not being critical, and whatever vibration you match with, totally perfect for you right now for me that changed over time because at some point in my life I was suffering a lot and I started to realize what at first I realized that I was suffering for a while I didn't even really know it I was just used to it it was my day-to-day experience of being feeling disconnected and pessimistic and depressed and not seeing a positive outcome for my life and at some point something triggered in me that I needed to change that and it was through that process that my musical tastes started to change and same with you Felix I still go back and listen to stuff that I listened to then for nostalgia also as an appreciation for the skill and talent of a lot of these bands and musicians and rappers because no matter what vibration they're putting out there a lot of them are super amazing artists and artists portray their experience and the best artists portrayed in a way that's just amazing to to witness even if it doesn't match where I'm at right now so this this uh, kind of connects to the next question which I think is an amazing one um uh so spiritual neighborhoods so mm. that felix described in a previous episode can you describe these places and what makes a good or bad neighborhood what why are some places better left avoided do not all places have a lesson or understanding to offer i mean yeah ultimately they all have a lot to offer um and I want to go back into that that statement of spiritual neighborhoods and what a bad neighborhood is. This really is within the context of the Shipibo tradition. Um, from my perspective, uh, it goes back to the need in any kind of psychedelic experience or whatever to have an experienced person nearby to help you if you fall into deep water. And that means getting stuck in mind loops of... I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to Or, um, you know, somebody's going to come knock on my door, somebody's going to come on, and then what am I going to do? Oh, I don't know, and oh my God, they're outside, they're waiting for me. These, these, these strange thoughts that can come up, these strange uh, imaginations, so to speak, that come up, that, that come up through... What is neuroses, like neuroses. Neur- yeah, neuroses, and, and sure, they, they need to be healed. There's traumas within a lot of people's systems that are big. And so when they come out, it is very important to have somebody there who's experienced with that kind of trauma release um, that can guide you through that safely. Because we often tell people we do not want to traumatize or re-traumatize a trauma or traumatize a trauma. That's, That's one of the neighborhoods. Another of the neighborhoods is within this world or the sphere of the Shipibo tradition, which is like the world of black magic of people who in this tradition have gained a lot of power and want to use that power to hurt other people. And 
they could be running ceremony down the st- in Peru in the jungles of Peru. They could be running ceremonies in the neighboring village, and they see your maestro in his village having a ceremony, and they just want to mess with your ceremony. So they'll throw, you know, bad air so the room turns black and your visions turn black, and and it's a real experience, and it's ne- it's necessary to have a maestro there that can help to mitigate or get rid of these things that come into the space or pull you away from these negative influences that are invading the space from these people. Um, it's a very light brushing over that statement of bad neighborhood as far as the Shipibo aspect of brujeria or black magic. It is very uncommon, especially for first-timers, to experience that at all. Um, again, that is within the responsibility of the people holding the space. It's within the responsibility of finding a good practitioner. It's in... Uh, Set, setting, and sitter. I cannot stress that enough. Set, setting, and sitter are super, super important. These plant medicines are incredible, and they open us to realms beyond our imagination. Our imagination is vast. It is very, very, very vast. And so sometimes we can wander into somebody else's imagination. That's not the best neighborhood. It may not be the same neighborhood we actually want to be in. Uh, an example being I've done mushrooms and walked out on the street and started talking to people and it scared the living shit out of me because this man started telling me how he's fucked and his wife is this and oh my God and and then are you on drugs and just it, it started to, that was not a good physical neighborhood to go into either. So bad neighborhoods of course can teach you a lot. I'm not saying they can't. I, I don't. You can always learn from any situation. And that's like Al said in in earlier podcasts, we're always here to learn from everything no matter what. Again, within the bad neighborhood realm, I just mean being aware that you have somebody who can guide you when you do walk into terrible places or hard places and they can bring you into better places or a better awareness of that place or they can steer you away from bad energy from something else. Another thing is, is... Uh, you know, in this experience, sometimes you're in a group of people and, you know, Bobby, Bobby Joe over there in the right, he's, he's got a really big pass of drugs and bad history and, you know, he's been in jail three times, but he's there to change his life and has, he's doing some psychedelics. And if you tap into Bobby Joe's experience and see his world, which is not yours, not your experience, if you do this and it happens, you could feel the darkness and heaviness of what it was like to be that person. I'm not saying there's not value in it, but I'm saying I don't recommend it. I'm recommending a safe environment of being held so that you're, you know that, okay, if I go into these neurotic thought patterns or if I go into these, these, these scary places mentally, psychologically, um, or visually, uh, I have somebody who can guide me out of it. That's the only thing I mean by bad neighborhoods. The The larger context being also like in the Shipibo realm, which is very uncommon for people to experience. Uh, it's a possibility, but again, it's not something to be, to walk into the experience fearing. Um, it comes with time of working in this tradition and experiencing a lot of different things. And it, it, it comes with a whole other gambit of kind of a can of worms that, that is this path uh, of apprenticing. Uh, I, I explain it as a reality because it is a reality, and I explain bad neighborhoods as a reality of being aware that these are not toys, 
They're not something just to joke around with. And uh, everyone I've ever spoken to and every experience I've ever had personally of taking mushrooms or taking a psychedelic and going to a party has been horrific. And that's being because the energy in that party is not typically where you want to be. Um, experiencing other people's energy in that way is, is pretty challenging. Uh, this is why they have people at festivals that help you calm calm you down. I can't remember what they're called. Yeah, at good at good music festivals. Yeah, uh, they're kind of like, like trip police or uh, yeah, trip support or something. yeah, trip sitters or whatever. Yeah, trip support. Or yeah, trip. Yeah, someone freaks out. They're there to like they're actually skilled in guiding someone back to here and now and realizing their fears are unfounded and all of this. And that's essential. I mean, it's essential because. You know, if you freak out and, you know, run out into the street because you, you don't you th- think there's a rabbit running out into the street and you want to go help save it and there's no rabbit there or no tiger there or whatever you're chasing, you, who is your touchstone? Mm. And that's, that's the challenge of being in these spaces without, and again, that goes back to the important S's, set, setting, and sitter. Those are mm. super, super critical. And... And we take these plant medicines very serious because we've seen where they can bring people and we've seen where, you know, in the dangers of them. Um, that being said, they're not necessarily dangerous by themselves. And, and I I don't want to sit here on the, the podcast and be like, take psychedelics. I'm not saying that. I'm saying they've brought incredible value into my life and healing. Um, and yes, some of those bad neighborhoods have taught me incredible things about myself. Myself. Selves. <laughs> um and also, <coughs> you know, when you hit those negative aspects in your mind that you're speaking of, Jacob, like I find those are also very valuable. Like you said, you're absolutely right. They are very valuable. Um, but for a generalized statement, for people who are not prepared to face those things so abruptly, they can be a bit challenging or terrifying uh, and and may create panic in the individual. So I just... Just to clarify that whole podcast, because even after that podcast, I kind of felt a bit like, uh, that's a bit vague, and mm. um, I don't know if I'm still being vague, and correct me if I'm wrong, Alan. You're not, and set, setting, and sitter are really important, and, you know, Jacob, to your question of, um, Jacob said, I think the idea of bad neighborhoods are part of what scares people like me from wanting to participate in spiritual ceremonies and psychedelic experiences, and that's super common, and, and I've, I've had the same uh, fear of these experiences, and so adding to set setting and sitter, I think intention is another, for me, core valuable asset. And absolutely now, if I'm going to consume a psychedelic like mushrooms, for example, mushrooms is one that I think a lot of people consume on their own or with friends. Um, it is within my power to establish a set setting and sitter environment um, that are conducive to a healing experience. But the intention for me is what holds it together in terms of if I consume mushrooms without intention or only with the intention to see amazing things and have fun and then a dark experience arises, um, if then, then it's going to be really hard to get through because there's no context. However, if I set the intention for the ceremony to for an intention of simply healing, an intention of seeing, of understanding, of letting go um, then it gives context because then if I eat these mushrooms and I have a dark experience arise, that intention serves as an anchor essentially to give context. Okay, this is a dark experience. Rather than um, freaking out and running, trying to run away from it, um, how does this meet my intention? 
um, uh, he, for healing? What is it showing me? Is it showing me what's actually inside me? Is it showing me that what I consume uh, in terms of movies, music, media uh, is, is in my psyche and now it's coming out? Is it showing me trauma from my life? Um, is it bringing things to the surface for me to see and recognize uh, so that I can then release them? Because that's the power of these medicines. And I think that's the difference between an intentional ceremony for healing and just haphazardly taking psychedelics. Um, because in the haphazard experience, which I've had, um, the scary experiences can turn into what we call a bad trip. In a medicine ceremony with these psychedelics, with set setting, sitter, and intention, there's no such thing as a bad trip. There is only learning and growing and evolving. And some of my most difficult, even dark experiences, the other side of it was um, some of the most profound shifts and changes. And, you know, in the end, everything was okay. So the, the intention allowed me to, to, to be able to let go of the darkness as it came up. I just want to add one, one small thing on the end of that, too, with the intention is also education. Um, like Alan and I have we've spent time with these plant medicines. We've learned with these plant medicines. We've grown with these plant medicines. We've seen the vast rainbow of experiences that can happen through these medicines. Um, and that, that educated us in what can come up and how to navigate it in certain ways. And so even just picking up a couple of books that tell you what can come up through certain plant medicines can actually help tremendously on your first time. Um, being aware that you're, you could possibly have the most incredible experience of your life uh, and the fears are unwarranted. I just, the reason I bring that into the level of awareness again is just to be aware that, you know, our psyche is a very strange place for some of us and, and entering those realms and healing those aspects can be very challenging at times. And I don't take it lightly because I've seen what's happened to people who have malpracticed plant medicines and and it it can have negative results um but again these these five things can really help your situation be incredibly beautiful or your experience be incredibly beautiful so uh, i don't want to push anyone away from plant medicines also dosage is very important uh and i'm also not saying take plant medicine um there's there's a million ways to reach these places um it's just these are the paths that we've walked and that we feel have benefited us the most, and they have incredible um, gifts for people who have had traumas in their lives or who have uh, bad habits in their lives or addictions. They can help you heal in incredible ways. Uh, and I like your comment on the end there, Jacob, with uh, is it because I've consumed too many vampire movies? Well, oftentimes at the end of ayahuasca ceremonies, some people will say, I'm never watching a horror movie again. <laughs> Uh, and I don't ever participate in watching horror movies, period, because they invoke fear and they create fear. They want fear. They, they, it's a very uh, strange thing to see inside of somebody when there's monsters inside their brain or brain or like creepy clowns. They have a major impact on the psyche. So I, I do not consume those. Um, I'm not going to say don't consume them. I'm just saying be aware. And that impact the amazing thing about plant medicine and other practices that impact doesn't have to be permanent is totally you can move past it but that kind of ties into your final question which is another great one um you said i imagine a bad neighborhood being similar to what someone might call a dark place in the mind and i've always found the dark places to be the most familiar and illuminating what do you think of that felix 
I think uh, a lot of people go searching up to find God. They go up into the sky and up into the clouds and to the stars and all the gods and the lights and the beauty. But I actually think we actually, we really find truth down. We find it through our negativity. We find it through our fears. We find it through our challenges. We find it through uh, our addictions, our pains, our sufferings. Like we, they're the anvil um, that help us to, they're the hammer and anvil uh, which sharpen us into better human beings, hopefully, uh, over time. I, I, dark places in the psyche are everywhere <laughs> and they're things that we've cultivated and there's things that we feed and coming to awareness within those is so powerful um the intention or my personal intention within plant medicine within meditation within my my spiritual practices is to be so clear that i can see every aspect of my mind in its realest form and that can be the ugliest form it is and oftentimes it's scary. I mean, I don't, there's aspects of my mind that are ugly. They're very ugly, but I'm not going to reject them. I can't, they're already there. They're there. They're a part of this being that is Felix. Um, so you're absolutely right. There is incredible gift and wealth in the darkness. Why do you think plants hide their roots? Right. Yeah, man. And you know, Jacob, when you say that the dark places are the most familiar and illuminating to you. Um, yeah, I get that too. And I, I think that if, if I think inevitably as human beings, this is just my view and my belief is that underneath it all, we are here to grow, evolve, connect, learn. And part of that path can involve spending some time being comfortable in a dark place of the mind. And so in my history, for example, when I was experiencing a lot of depression in my life, as much as I did not enjoy being depressed, I actually can reflect now and realize that I was actually comfortable there in some way. And I probably stayed in depressive states for much longer than, than I had to because I was comfortable there I was allowing it it was basically the frequency that I was used to and that I was tuned to and there was a period in my life where I didn't want to be depressed but on some way I was keeping myself there because it was my comfort zone and I was actually afraid of um, being positive and optimistic about my life and creating and uh, all these all these things and and so but there came a point where something shifted and that I just realized that I don't have to be that way. And I started to take actions in my life to, to see that and to, uh, to move past it and to, uh, put myself in positions and places where that didn't take me into that dark place in the mind because it, I started to realize it was the source of my discomfort. And there's also something else I realize is, um, you know, looking at people who, who who are in a dark place in their life like for example like a crack den i'm not implying that you jacob or anyone else hangs out there and i've never done that but like a crack den if you think about it to me that's like if i think about what's like the darkest kind of place that human beings find themselves in it's like crack and in a dark dingy room and everyone's just laying around and 
being negative and and whatever it is. I don't know. I don't know what crack dens are like, but but underneath that, it's a crack den, and what is it? It's people gathering together. And so I think even in these dark places, I, I think people actually come together through that common experience. They're all drawn to dark things. So, you know, people who are drawn to like going to horror movies with their friends or, um, or people who love like satanic dark music, you know, but they go to concerts of it, but they come together because underneath it all, that's what brings them together. And I think that's the, the aspect that no matter what we are drawn to, we're drawn to connection with other human beings. And if we find other human beings that are in a similar state of us and similar just like that's really, that's love. <laughs> and love is something that we might feel we're excluding from our lives or we don't want to even talk. I don't even like the word. I, there was a time in my life where love, I was like, Ugh. but really a lot of my actions were in line with finding connection and connection between human beings. And that's love and finding it in whatever way possible. And I think it was Aldous Huxley who said like, um, something about i think drugs and like all addiction and drug use even the drugs that aren't psychedelic and maybe not helpful but all of them are just a misguided seeking of god and truth and we're trying to find it and that's our human experience i love that i love alice huxley too (laughs) um yeah and i i'm a very firm believer too that very little growth happens where we're comfortable. And if you're finding yourself very comfortable in these darker places, it's become, you've become used to it. And that means that you're stuck somewhere. Like, uh, I could very easily sit on my front couch every day, smoke 50 mapachos and drink tons of coffee because it's comfortable and it's a, it gives me a buzz and it's nice. But what's uncomfortable is not smoking so much, is not drinking 50 coffees a day. Is, And I like pushing myself into these places of discomfort because I grow in tremendous ways there. It's an accelerated growth uh, or evolution. And so I'm currently working with a, another teacher from a different tradition. He works a lot with like Eastern traditions and magical traditions. And he's quite an interesting fellow. And uh, he talked about these concepts of our fierce body and our joy body. And our fierce body is a body of darkness and viciousness. And it's also about living here on earth and having a job and pleasure and earthly things. And the joy body is the body that actively seeks enlightenment or is seeking to be enlightened or to evolve spiritually. And he said, whatever body you feel the least comfortable with, that's what you should work on first. And for me, I initially thought it was the fierce body. I felt like I'm not like a, I feel like I'm a, I don't know, I've got a big head sometimes. So I was, I'm a spiritual guy and I like to practice and I like light and I probably should start working with my fierce body. And I would start working with my fierce body. And it was really easy, actually, because <laughs> it's so natural to be human and to actually want and desire these things and not that they're dark but this aspect the fierce body also has this dark aspect uh an example can be avalokiteshvara who is a tibetan deity and his fierce body or his uh, vicious body which is mahakala mahakala is this huge toothed clawed thing with blood everywhere and it's solid black and it's surrounded in fire and it's his destructive element 
Same thing with Shiva. Shiva has a destroying part in Shiva, the, the sustainer, creator, I can't remember. Um, and it wasn't until I actually started working with the joy body, this aspect that is embracing complete love, and joy, and peace, um, that I found the biggest challenge. And it shocked me. It actually brought to light how uncomfortable I was with allowing myself to be happy with allowing myself to, to feel joy, to actually believe in myself. And I'd become so comfortable with this idea, even within the Shipibo tradition of fighting, 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 fighting. <laughs> Get the demons out and destroy them and remove them and blah, 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 blah. And, and not actually embracing this aspect of, how about I give offerings to them and help them to transmute and grow. Not being ghosts, but being spirits, as he said, uh, Jason said. So, Jason's the teacher, by the way. Um, yeah, I just to say that, that very little growth happens where you're comfortable. And psychedelics bring incredible discomfort very quickly. They can be personal apocalypses. But they bring incredible gifts of growth and expansion and awareness. Um, when, yeah. when set, setting, sitter, and intention are taken very seriously. seriously. Yeah. And that's that's the only reason I brought up the bad neighborhood thing in that prior episode. So, yeah. amazing. Thanks, thank you, Jacob. For thank that. you. And it just you know these kinds of questions get me thinking, and I get insights about myself, and so really helpful. So to all the listeners, um, we welcome this, and you know I would love to see the day where there are too many questions that we don't have time. Uh, maybe we have to make separate episodes where we answer questions. But please feel free to email us or connect with us through the Facebook group and we'll try our best uh, to to connect with your questions because, yeah, this was uh, awesome. And I, I got another piece of feedback from a listener. Uh, someone here in Wadon, I won't name his name because I don't know if he would be okay with that. And he said that he listened to the episode where Felix, you shared about sigil magic. Mm. And um, I think it was episode 10. And for those of you that are interested, Felix explains this ritual in perfectly and um and i actually have to call myself out i said after that episode that i was going to do it because i was in a really hard place but i didn't end up doing it okay <laughs> i forgive myself um not because i don't believe in it and it, i think at the time i just maybe you're on a different level i don't know like i said at the beginning of this podcast there's there's layers to the sigil magic so just let me just say that oh yeah well anyway i uh i, I think i didn't do it at that moment because i i couldn't f find what I wanted, you know, but anyways, um, our friend here, uh, he decided to do it kind of a, an easy one where, uh, he wanted to find a 10 or 20 solace note, which is like 20 solace is like $6. And so he went to bed and he did kind of a lighter version of the process. But when he went to bed, he was just really in those moments between waking and sleeping, he just really focused on visualizing, finding a 20 solace note. And he created kind of a ritual for himself as he went to bed with it. And the next morning, he went to his washing machine to do laundry, and he opened it up, and there was a 20 solace note in the laundry because a friend of his had come and done laundry, and it came out of her pocket. It wasn't even his, but he, he found it. So it happened so quickly for him. I thought that was amazing. So we love hearing that kind of feedback too. The sigil magic is, a, I, I know it's a super powerful practice. So for those of you that are interested, that's episode 10 i believe uh yeah it's 10 yeah yeah so great man i think uh we can wrap this one up yeah yeah Any that was 
so fun. Yeah. Uh, Jacob, yeah, just thank you so much for your question. If you don't feel it was answered, please write us again, yeah. and we'll do our best to keep trying to answer it yeah. in the clearest way possible. But we're so grateful for that. I just want to echo Al. So thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much. And ultimately, man, uh, you have all the answers. So we're not we're not trying to, you know, we're just trying to shed some light on our own experience. And But uh, I think I have full faith that we all as human beings have our own answers and and um, we're here to support each other in finding them. And sometimes it's helpful uh, for to interact with other human beings and uh, or go into a ceremony with other humans because it's their presence and their work that can help us find our own answers. Absolutely. And, and again, thank you to all of our listeners who have shared incredibly amazing feedback. Thank you for all your positivity. We really we enjoy hearing from everyone. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you next time. Beyond Words. Beyond Words.